wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ice. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow all right i gotta think that most of us wish that we had a wine cellar in our home i mean what a nice luxury to have it's a little hard to keep up and by the way i i had a wine cellar for years and years and years except now i have a wine bar so i don't really need a wine cellar but somebody who sells amazing homes to people who want houses with wine cellars is my guest Brittany Hahn. And she's not just in the real estate business. She's got this very, very long resume in the wine industry and is still very much involved. And Brittany, I really appreciate you coming up from San Diego area to be with me today and be on the radio. My pleasure. You got a good job. I do. So I want to talk about something else that you do a great deal of. And I think it's interesting because of your principal profession being in real estate and selling high-end real estate, which by the way, you sell houses with small vineyards? Yes. In um, San Diego. Yeah. There's which is actually, by the way, not surprising because there's a lot of wine country down in the San Diego area. I, there, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that in a surprising way. No, I mean, there is. It's it's not common. I wouldn't, you know, it's probably one out of 10 um, homes. It's whoa, definitely... whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Wait a second. Everybody cue into that. It's not common. It's probably one out of 10. Or maybe one out of 15. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it that way before. (laughs) One out of 50 would be a lot. You know, it's like how many people, oh, you know, like every 10th neighbor has a vineyard in their bed. Well, typically the plots of land that are anywhere between the four to six acres. And a lot of them actually do have a very small you know, appropriation for them. It's either that typically it's either like, I would say much more common to have a horse property because that's what Rancho Santa Fe is known for. But then you have people who really just love the novelty and want the hobby of making wine. But that horse manure makes really good fertilizer for you the know, vines. I had not thought about putting that on a brochure, but you know, now. <laughs> we had on the show a couple of years ago, Vince Ferragamo, a great quarterback for the Rams when they were originally in Los Angeles. And I think he lives down in the Orange County area. And I think he's also so now a real estate broker, by the way, mm. although when I talked to him, when the Rams were coming back to L.A., he was going to be on the broadcast, I think, but I haven't caught any of those, so I don't know. But the reason I bring Vince up is because he has a vineyard in his backyard, and I think it's like South Orange County, if I'm not okay. mistaken. It might be Northern San Diego County, but he makes these amazing wines. I mean, they're just, you know, s- small batch, mm-hmm. but amazing wines. If you ever see the Ferragamo wines, you, yeah, can get them. you can get them in restaurants and stuff, and I'm sure you can 
can get them down in San Diego, but pretty good. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. You buy a house for Brittany and get one that's got a vineyard in the backyard and you never know. You might be able to make enough money off of your exclusive. Your sh- she's shaking her head. No, no, really? Like, well, a, like I, a half an acre of vines is not going to pay for that. I don't house. know if half an acre of vines is going to really, you know, support, <laughs> support your month to month, but your mortgage of, you know, $12,000 a month or am I going low here? I'm going um, low. Most of those homes are all cash. So they typically don't have mortgages. What? Most of the homes. Um, they don't have mortgages? Not most of them. Some do. Are you kidding most, me? Uh, no. <laughs> they just they walk in. Oh, I just play cash. Okay. Because uh, a lot of those are auction homes, right? Um, Not a lot. Some of them are. And those ones are, you know, 99% all cash purchases. When we auction is based on non-distress. So they're not bank owned. They're not people couldn't afford to keep them. It's that people have made the choice that they would like the finality of meeting the market, having people compete to establish a market price and, and be able to move on. How, how many of those houses that are sold just out of curiosity, I'm getting off the wine topic, but, okay. but how many of those houses that are sold on the market uh, by auction actually go for more than the buyer was wanting for the house? Well, Is that common? Um, I would say that it's common in the sense that because I work on the side where the real estate agent who had the listing as well as the owner of the house, they become my clients. And so in that particular case, the buyer doesn't always share with us, you know, what they intend that they're going to pay or what they anticipate they'll pay. They share that often with a buyer's agent that I works see. with them. Okay. Um, but there have been numerous cases where people have said, oh, you know, I was really hoping I'd get it for a lot less. I really didn't think that I would keep raising my paddle. That does happen. Okay. But you know what? I'm going to stay away from the auction thing. <laughs> I, I, the temptation of doing and it. And I've been to a lot of wine auctions, by yes. the way, with a paddle and I should be paddled for some of the things that I've actually done. I've but, been doing couple. But, but anyway, so now one of the things that you do aside from this is you consult with people who have wine cellars and you help them choose the wines. Yes. Now I want to establish something here and I'm going to probably, I'm going to, I'm always taking people off with one thing or another, but this is going to irritate a few people, but I'm going to say this, that I think most people that have wine cellars aren't really wine experts at all. I'm not saying that they don't have wine knowledge. I'm just saying that the fact that you have a wine cellar doesn't make you a wine expert. It makes you a collector. Yes. I would agree with that. Right? Yeah. A collector, yes. And a lot of them have a real interest in learning more about wine. But in no case that I can think of in Southern California, is it because they're winemakers or they're in the wine industry and then they have a wine cellar? You know, it's more that it's been an interest of theirs their whole life. And they have lots of stories attached to particular occasions and particular uh, bottles. And they're on, you know, certain lists. So they're collecting futures or they're collecting, you know, Burgundy, whatever it might be that they that they got excited about. Some of them, you know, when it was when they got married or when their kids got married or, you know, things like that. They all have that kind of a story, I would say, profile around it. There are definitely some collectors who are you know, all over the wine boards and, you know, reading everything that, that that's coming out every week and every month. And they're it's all a little over tiny it, percentage. It's of, a smaller of, percentage. Of yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I, I do want to throw something in, though, by the way, before we get into the collecting aspect of this, which is that I think everybody should have a wine space. Everybody that's listening to this show, if you're into wine, you should have a wine space. That wine space could be a converted linen closet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be much or just go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Target or I think even a Walmart and buy a wine refrigerator. Yeah. And you can get a pretty nice sized wine refrigerator. And yes, you can put your red wines in there. Of course you can. Of course. A lot of them are dual refrigerators. 
refrigerators, 500 bucks will buy you a nice wine refrigerator mm-hmm. and you can have dual controls. So you can have your red wine on the top and the white wine on the bottom and you can set the temperatures exactly right and be done with it. Now, what's going to happen is after you get that refrigerator, you're going to have too much wine and you're going to want to get another refrigerator or you might buy a bigger one. This is going to start getting out of control after a while and then you're going to have to convert your linen closet and then eventually when your kids move out, you're going to take one of the kids' rooms and you're going to turn it into your wine space or wine cellar. And by the way, wine cellars do not have to be underground, no. right? Mm-mm. They need to be most importantly if you're aging anything for a period of time, which you of course know, it's more just that it's not going to be moved around a lot so you don't disrupt the sediment and that it's not exposed to light. You know, temperature of course is important, but in terms of being exact on a temperature, I've never found that to be the case. You yes. know, as long as you're not heating those bottles, warming them up, as long as it's a cool type temperature, dark and not moving around, I think you're safe. There's a reason why they make the color of most wine bottles green or smoky colors and things like that or yep. to shield the light. Why is it that there are the white wine bottles that are clear? Do you know? Do I? Um, my guess, I don't know. Like I haven't read anything about that specifically. Is it just that they're going to drink them so fast I, that it doesn't matter? Yeah, I think in most cases, those wine bottles, when they're, they're the thinner glass typically and they are the see-through or that lighter green color, that they're made for wines that are going to be drank right away or within the first two to three years. And then I think it doesn't really matter. And by the way, if you go and you're looking at wine bottles and you pick up a bottle that weighs like twice as much as the bottle next to it, it's generally a pretty good indication that the winemaker wants that wine to survive, that they care about how it ages. And it there's probably a better chance of that being a good wine, yeah. but by virtue of what they invested in the glass. Yeah, I definitely, I spent some time when I was doing consulting a long time ago, becoming an expert on wine bottles <laughs> themselves and to see the variety that, you know, is available in the marketplace and what you spend and, and all of that. And I would say that a lot of winemakers are very concerned with how things are going to be cellared. And it is, I think, a way, a measure that they have that helps to control, you know, at least that you're taking this good care of the baby that they're giving to you. It depends on their level, of course. I mean, and then you've got complete anomalies like Screaming Eagle, which is in, you know, a very underassuming kind of simple bottle. But that's a that's an anomaly. How many bottles of Screaming Eagle do you have at home? I do not have any. You don't? You drank them? I drank them all. <laughs> okay. We were supposed to talk about your wine consulting, you know, consulting with people about the wines that they're going to put in the cellar, but uh, we got off, t- off t- You and I are, uh, this is this is never going to work, you and I, I doing radio I together mean, because we get off on off tangent. track. Yeah. All right. But we're going to come I back. I can sum it up pretty quickly. No, that's okay. We're, no, we got to take a break. Okay. We, you can't sum it up now. We're talking to Brittany Hahn. She is, among other things, a consultant to people who are stocking their wine cellars and uh, spent a great deal of time in the wine industry. She was in our wine shop last night visiting. We were trying several different fun wines. And man, her knowledge runs very deep, very, very deep, deeper than the Bermuda Triangle. Wow. We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. And my guest, Brittany Hahn. It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the San Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, 
and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the Internet. Go to peakranch.com. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia... Her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Garia into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues... All right, now I got myself scratching my head. I ended that last segment saying that Brittany, Brittany Hahn, my guess, knowledge runs deeper than the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> no, uh, Brittany, I don't know how deep the Bermuda Triangle is, I'm so sure I'm not sure whether deep, I, I don't but... know if I paid you a compliment or not. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I took it as a compliment. Really? I did. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. So we were supposed to talk in the last segment and we got off on a very interesting sidebar there, but we were supposed to talk about choosing wines for people who have wine cellars or just want to have a wine collection. First of all, if somebody doesn't have a wine cellar or a safe place to put their wine, will you still consult with them or are you going to say, hey, you know, buddy, get your act together? No, I mean, I'll tell them in a nice way that at a level of the wines that we're bringing in, basically when we sit down, we'll talk about wines that they want to drink every day or wines that they want to have to bring to friends' houses or gift wine. And then when we get into the topic of wines that they would like to be able to, let's say, buy a case and try one a year or they'd like to buy futures or they'd like to actually then hold wines um, and watch them age and mature that we would need to discuss, you know, somewhere they're going to put them. But no, I wouldn't just say I can't help you out. <laughs> if, you're, if you're consulting with somebody that's like, say, in their 80s, uh-huh. do you avoid saying things like, let's buy wines that are going to age? <laughs> no, actually, I don't think that I've run into exactly. You haven't well, run into that no, situation? No, I have. I have spoken to people in their 70s and 80s about collecting wine, but I don't think that it came into my purview that I was telling them not to buy things that age. Probably well, because... Well, I'm, I'm sitting with somebody <laughs> Somebody who's like, you know, 85 years old or something. Not to say that that's well, old, that's the new 60, right? But, yeah, definitely. But still, it's like, hey, you know what, Mr. Jones, you can lay this down for like 30 years. Right. Well, I mean, you're going to enjoy this at 100. Kids inherit, you know, wine. Yeah. And depending upon the age of their wife, yeah, you like, know, and 
yeah, like my, dad, my dad's going to really uh, going to will me his wine selection. People do. They do. His entire wine collection actually comes from Trader Joe's. So, so you're not, not that. <laughs> you don't need that one. You know how many times I bring great bottles of wine over to the family events and my father will come out and say, I, you know, why would you even, you know, drink that $40 wine when I got this over at Trader Joe's for $5 and I'm not even talking about two buck Chuck. I'm talking about the good $5 wines, right. you know, and he's like all excited about that, right? Right. And then what happens? So I go, well, that's fine, dad. You drink your wine and I open up my bottle and, you know, my brother Steve will be there and he really appreciates good wine. My brother Bob, not so much. He'll drink anything really. But, you know, what happens is dad comes over and he just polishes off. He says, I don't, in fact, he'll say, you know, notice how sometimes people get older, they, they say they don't drink anymore, but then they really then do. they really drink. They really do. <laughs> yes. And they sneak out. You'll see them like everybody's out of the kitchen. That bottle's sitting over there and it's boom, 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 boom. You know, like that, you know, that Jaws music. Right. And he's over there and he At kinda, least they open it. I mean, my real pet peeve is when you bring a bottle of wine to someone's house. I understand in a large party setting, this does not count in that setting. But when it's a group of, let's call it, I don't know, four to eight people. And so you bring a bottle of wine that you're excited to share with the group and you know that maybe they won't have great wines, but you you do have this great wine and you're excited to have some as well. And they take it and they go put it to the side and then they open something that you would never want to drink in your life. And you think, wait a minute, I thought I protected against that by bringing this so that we could all share there it. But there's no way around, a way around that, <laughs> Brittany. What is it? Uh, you bring a corkscrew. Oh, you yeah, bring a <laughs> No, it is classy. You know what? It's like In the this. wine industry, I think it's classy. I don't know if me as a real estate agent going to a party and grabbing my corkscrew, let's, opening my wine. Let's be really super clear about this, okay? okay? I have rules about bringing wine to parties. First of all, if you bring wine to a party and your host appreciates good wine, there are certainly going to be a bunch of people at the party that don't. And if that's the type of crowd that you have, then you bring one bottle that's just a so-so bottle. Not so-so, but just a decent bottle for people to share. You go into the kitchen or whatever with your host and you say, we're going to open this right now. Okay. <laughs> we're going to put this over here in this dark corner. Yeah. And you and I are going to be enjoying this throughout the evening, but I, I bought this specially for you. Right. And you know what? It sounds selfish, but it's not because there's always that person. Okay. I saw it over the holidays. <laughs> no, it's the guy that walks in and he's, you know, he looked really nice when he got to the party, but his tie's all crooked now and his button's undone and he's got cocktail sauce on his shirt and he, he walks over to the place where all the wines are and he's got a half a glass of something and then he just grabs a bottle and dumps it into the same glass. I mean, there, there should be a wine prison for people like that. Just to oh, spend an hour there, yeah. you know? No, I get it. I get it. Right. I On that, I think too, it's the people, you know, when you, you think about how excited you get to open a bottle of wine that you've been really wanting to try and your friends are over and everyone's had a couple and now it seems like an even better idea to go into the cellar and to take something out that really you should have had as oh, bottle number one. Oh, I have the best invention. I don't know if I told you this. What and is it might it? have been invented by now, actually. What is it? So I really think that what they should do is you can put a breathalyzer on the actual entry to the wine cellar in a certain area, right? Like, so there's like a cap thing that comes down and then you can set at whatever level you do not want that bottle to be able to be opened, right? right? So it's like a container. I haven't worked it out exactly. So if you're exactly. at a 0.06 and right. you blow then, in there, it's, uh, I'm sorry, Sorry, Brittany. denied. No, it'll just flash, uh, yeah. denied. 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 Denied, yes. Although some like people it. might go wake up their kids or... <laughs> so, so there's somebody listening right now who is taking this idea and running with it and, and you're not going to get credit for it. I'm not. It's a good thing we recorded it. You heard it, it here first. Totally. It's on the radio. There you stole go. it, buddy. You took it from me. All right. So when you're you're picking out wines for people, let's go back to that. Sure. They, they they come to you and they go, you know, I don't know, you know, what to buy. I don't know one wine from from another. I don't know what a Tempranillo is or whatever. But I know what I like. What's the 
first step. You got to dig into their personality and their likes and dislikes, right? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely, I, I do dig into their personality. I also I like to ask them, you know, if you're going to be bad, if you're being naughty, are you having chocolate cake? Or are you having French fries? You know, are you a sweet or a savory person? That tells me usually a lot about what they like in wine. And then I want to figure out what do we want the wine for? You know, um, we touched on it before just a little bit, but you know, is this something that you want to watch age? Is this something that you want to make money on? Is this something that you're going to collect to give to somebody? Or, you know, is it the holiday season and people are constantly dropping over to your house? Or, you know, on Thursdays, you love to have pizza and you don't want to be bothered and you love red wine with that. So I try to find out in like a pie chart, <laughs> basically, how much wine the seller will hold, what's a comfortable investment level, and then what they're wanting to do in terms of, you know, all of the categories I just gave you. And most people are actually more one, like heavily one and not the others. Collectors are different, of course. Sometimes the really big wine sellers, they really are interested in getting on a program where they can establish, you know, their likes for a certain particular wine and then be able to buy it vintage in and vintage out so that they can compare so, them. So do they do they say, I'm going to give you a budget every month or every six months or every quarter, you know, bring in some new wines? Is that a cyclical thing or do they want to stock it all up at the same time? You know, typically I would say before I got into real estate, I did have clients where I would work with them like monthly and they would tell me, okay, you know, I'd like to spend X a month and this is about how much, you know, again, those categories because this is how much wine I drink or I'm going to parties or it's the holiday season. Now it's usually people saying, okay, look, you know, I'm kind of getting a little bit thin, so let's fill the wine cellar. Or it's people that'll say to me, hey, listen, you know, I had a bottle of wine the other night and it was great. And I've got the, I've got the bottle itself. I've got the label. And usually in these cases, it's like, you know, some European wine, French, Italian, something like that. And they'd say, I'd really be interested in getting this every year or, you know, what other kinds of wines does this winery make? Let's try that. So it's, it's really specific, you know, because they're just usually sitting with me having a glass of wine, talking about their houses <laughs> and then asking me to, oh, I know you're in the wine industry. Would you help me with this? And that's kind of how it comes about often. So do you, do you bring over a selection of, you know, it's kind of like when you're in the optometrist's office and they, they sit you in front of that thing and they go, uh, it, 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 can you see better with A or can you see better with B? And right. they're flicking all those buttons and all that stuff. And I don't know why they still use that crude technology, but that's what right. they do. Anyway, we'll be back with my special guest for the hour, it turns out, Brittany Hahn. She is, uh, along with her business partner, co-owner of Housel's Hahn, which, um, you know, is a, a high-end, I, I have to say that, real estate firm in Rancho Santa Fe, which is just outside of San Diego, just north of San Diego. Yes, northeast right? of Would that San be Diego. Northeast, yes. yeah. And we work north. with the franchise of Pacific Sotheby's. Yes. And so um, if you're looking for a house with a wine cellar, I've got just the cellar for you. Anyway, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. The Central Coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan craftswork, and so much more, California's Central Coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here. A true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a 365 days a year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days, even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. 
It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the San Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the Internet. Go to peakranch.com. Did you know that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California? We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a a stretch. Here's David. One of the things that I think is a common theme that we talk about on Grape Encounters all the time are people who are in a particular profession that then migrate into the wine business. In fact, I would say probably, from my perspective, maybe 80% of the people who are making wine today weren't people who grew up in the wine industry. They just decided that they didn't want to be dentists or brain surgeons or contractors or whatever anymore, and they got into the wine business. But today, this is such an interesting guest because she's got a very broad resume. She's somebody who kind of got out out of the wine industry and went into an industry which I think is kind of, well, let's say pretty parallel to the wine industry, but it's not what you think. My guest today is Brittany Hahn, and she is a co-owner of a real estate firm that deals in really super high-end stuff down in the San Diego area of California. Her and her partner's company is Housel's Hahn. I say you sort of migrated away from the wine business because that was your end-all to beat-all. And you were very deep into it. You were working with major winemakers. You were getting close to having the top degree when it comes to wine certification. And you still deal with wine. I do. I do still deal with wine. I I still drink wine as well. And I Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you do have a glass in front of you. Right, Which I've filled three times already today. I think not three. (laughs) (laughs) Who's counting? But anyway, no, but you're, you're still very much into wine. But you do a lot of wine consulting. And I just think it's an interesting twist because the kind of consulting that you now do really ties into what you're doing real estate wise. You're down in... I'm in San Diego. San Diego, but more specifically Rancho Santa Fe. Rancho Santa Fe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And coastal areas, Del Mar and Solana Beach as well.
well. Crazy beautiful place. Crazy beautiful, yes. It's like Camelot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like hard to believe Camelot. you could be that close to the ocean. Camelot. Oh, I do a great uh, Richard Harris. Uh, Sounds like it. <laughs> anyway, but you and your partner deal in the big stuff, the expensive stuff, right? And and then you're also – your company is the director of the auction division for Pacific Sotheby's, right? That's correct. So that means you're selling multi-multi-million dollar homes. Yes. We like to think about it as luxury at, at every level, sort of like wine, but we do end up with a lot of the high-end real estate to sell. And so it was it's an interesting progression to come from dealing, I think, my, my very final kind of where I was full-time in wine towards the end, I was working as the wine buyer for Pomplamoose Grill in Solana Beach. And we did a lot with Zaki's auctions, Sotheby's auctions, Christie's, um, etc. So that was kind of my final. Because um, they, they have a major wine list there. Yes, they do. At the time that I was there, it was around $1.8 million. And I don't know what it is currently. It's been uh, almost, I date myself, but uh, about nine years since I was buying there. I, still I got, go there, I got but... that much in my I got that much in my refrigerator. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no. I haven't seen that. Well, one of the reasons that I, I wanted to get you on is because I talk to so many realtors. I have a lot of friends who actually do sell high-end real estate, mm-hmm. but they don't know squat about wine. And so many of the homes that you're selling, I'm thinking, have wine cellars in them. Yes. Right. They do. I mean, and I would say even for the coastal real estate, if they don't have a wine cellar, then they have really great, you know, wine refrigerators, sometimes multiple, depending upon what they're storing, or they've built something, you know, into the house to, to be able to hold the kind of wine that they want to hold and to be able to age it. But yes, um, in the ranch specifically, we deal with very, very large sellers. One of my first listings when I'd come back, cause I had been living in Australia and one of my very first listings in Rancho Santa Fe, I mean, the wine cellar itself held, uh, 15,000 bottles and 15,000 <laughs> Bottles of wine. Yes. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, it was huge. And actually, one of the restaurateurs in the area had used it as a partial seller for themselves because they had run out of room in their own restaurant. So, so a restaurant calls the owner of this home and says, hey, can can we have a little room in your wine cellar? I think it's something like that. I believe he was over for dinner at one and point. That was, and, yeah. If that was my wine cellar, some of that restaurant's wine would be disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> it would be an accident, of course. <laughs> of course, of course. There was nobody there to see it except for the security camera in right. the wine cellar, right? Which they mostly have, yes. When you show a home that has a magnificent wine cellar, is that oftentimes the deal closer, the big wow? Because I know when I go into somebody's house and they show me around, this is the grand living room and, oh, and this is our our study and it's, you know, 4,000 square feet and all this. And, and here's the master bedroom with the heart-shaped jacuzzi in the middle of the floor. But then they take me down to the wine cellar and I, I'm like, ho, ho, ho. Right. That's it. It's a big deal. It's very intimate. People definitely want them. And because they're so particular, that can be a good and a bad thing, you know, depending upon how particular the wine cellar is. And then, you know, there's often cases I've sold uh, houses to people who either don't drink or they drink spirits. So when I'm showing a house that has, you know, a 4,000 bottle wine cellar, it's kind of a, uh oh, what do we do with this space? But most of the oh, time- Oh, this will be the kid's playroom. We'll- uh, <laughs> Right. Down we'll here take, in the dungeon. <laughs> we'll take this AC out. Well, no, but they won't be able to crawl out the windows. That's see, right? true. It's a safe place for your 16-year-old daughter, I bet. Uh, they can have all their toys in here and we'll pad the <laughs> I mean, it's starting to sound a little creepy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, what? That did sound creepy, didn't it? I, Sorry, I didn't, the padded I did, walls. No, I, just a well, bit. no, I just meant that, okay, we, we, we won't put padded walls. Okay. Well, people, I, I have had um, a couple who changed a wine cellar over to more of like a card room and cigars. They just weren't big wine drinkers. Well, My last wine cellar held about 3,000 bottles. 
This is true. Good size. But I also allowed it to be a cigar room. Now, yeah. there were a lot of people that were down on me about the idea of having all that cigar smoke For around sure. the wine bottles. But I said fooey to that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, you could maybe occasionally get a little hint of it in some of the wines, but I thought it was a good thing. It was like, this is what my wines have that nobody else has. Right. <laughs> I, I, and I also wonder, I think maybe because it's Southern California, you know, I, I've rarely been as a guest at someone's house where we go to the wine cellar, cellar and we actually sit down in the wine cellar and drink the wine. Okay. You know, that's more rare, I think. Maybe uh, okay, so, all right, I guess. But I was going to say that my wine cellar, which we kept at about, you know, 54 to 56 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. We had jackets available, just a, a pile of jackets <laughs> available for people. And we would go down and literally we'd have dinner in the wine cellar. The biggest thing was poker games yeah, in the wine definitely. cellar. It was Monopoly money, of course. Uh, but anyway, as yeah. they became more frigid, maybe that's not the right word. <laughs> as they became colder, they also uh, started playing looser, I okay. think. that anyway. <laughs> All right. I got to ask you a serious question here. Sure. All right. I'm trying to wipe the smile off my face because it's not funny at all, but are you looking down? Well, (laughs) did they ever sell that house? You know, the one where people were drinking something other than wine and they went off to another planet, right? The heaven's gate home. Well, it did sell what they did was turned it into a park. So it's no longer a house that you can go and, and visit. Oh, they just mowed it down. Basically, yes. Oh, that was creepy, huh? I mean, there was a lot of talk around it. And how could you establish value for that house? There are people um, who want things like that, though, aren't they? That you know, it's like, Yeah, but you usually don't want those people as your neighbors, which is why I think of uh, the neighborhood. Oh, <laughs> you know what? That's a very good point. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's not that I mind living in the house. It's that everybody else around my house is not going to want me there. Right, <laughs> like, right. That guy's really super weird. It's a very it's strange like me with the padded wine cellar, you know. Way better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting stuff. I wonder, did they have a wine cellar in that house? Do you know? You know, I don't know. That was before my time. When Heaven's Gate happened, I believe that I was either a senior in high school or a freshman in college. I had not yet even gone to the wine industry, let alone. Somebody's going to be in that park poking around, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're going to hear a clunk, 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 <laughs> and they're going to see that there's a little hatch there, and it's going to be the hatch to the wine cellar. There we go. So you, I mean, I can check it out. Enjoy the wines, but <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Okay. No. All right. I guess we shouldn't make fun of that. It's natural selection. All right. So we are talking to Brittany Hahn, and uh, we're going to talk much more and, and also uh, some of her interesting experiences in the wine business. She's got so much going on that uh, we couldn't do it in an entire show. But we're going to try here to uh, get to some of these other interesting topics. As we continue with Grape Encounters Radio, my special guest, Brittany Hahn of Housel's Hahn, and uh, they sell the big stuff. We'll be back right after this. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the Santa Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner. 
John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and lush Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to PeakRanch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E Ranch.com. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the Santa Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to PeakRanch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E Ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the Internet. Go to PeakRanch.com. There's a lot of counterfeiting going on in the wine world these days.